0: This is Fire Rescue One Side Alpha Podcast, putting fire service leaders in front of hot topics facing firefighters today. Now, here's the executive editor of FireRescueOne.com and FireChief.com, Chief Mark Bayshore.
1: Today's returning guest is Dr. Lori Normann, the United States Fire Administrator. She began her fire service career in 1987, working as a firefighter paramedic for the Memphis, Tennessee Fire Department. Then, in 1993, she began a 26-year career with the International Association of Firefighters, focusing much of her work on data analysis, system performance measurements, and staff deployment models. In 2019, Dr. Moore Merrill Merrill founded the International Public Safety Data Institute, a nonprofit organization dedicated exclusively to providing tools to the public safety sector on how to improve how they evaluate risks, deploy resources, and respond to emergencies. In 2021, she was tapped to serve as the United States Fire Administrator and was sworn in for the position in October. I've worked with Dr. Moore on various projects over the years, including some of the staffing deployment studies conducted in the National Capital Region, and I look forward to this conversation. Dr. Moore, welcome to the Side Alpha Podcast.
0: Good morning, and thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be able to come back and have a conversation with you.
1: Yeah, in a different role. And uh, I appreciate you taking the time out of your busy schedule. I know we've got a lot going on. So let's just dive right into uh, some of the thoughts I had for today. And and before we really get into it, though, um, I want to discuss two fairly unprecedented recent residential mass fatality fires in Philadelphia and New York. And then, um, you know, unfortunately, the very tragic uh, uh, triple line of duty death fire in Baltimore. Such a rough First 20 some days of January. Um, But on January 26th, you participated in an NFPA sponsored discussion with uh, FDNY Chief Nigro and Philadelphia Commissioner Thiel, specifically on those two fires. Um, Such a tragic set of events, all of them together. Can you share your thoughts on the incidents and, and how can we as fire departments uh, focus on using lessons learned from from all of this uh, when tragedies like this affect our communities?
0: I appreciate that question. Yes, it has been a very difficult uh, first few weeks of 2022. And um, these two large fires, obviously, in, in Philly and then in the Bronx that were so close to each other and we lost so many Uh, civilians in these fires taught us a lot of lessons and not the least of which are the, the safety behaviors that we as the fire service as a whole has tried to, you know, carry out messaging to teach people about safe use of space heaters. We've taught people about Christmas decorations and every year it seems that we have the same type of messaging. What I think we have learned is that we have to message differently. We're going to have to figure out how do we put messaging in context? We're going to have to figure out how do we communicate with folks who may not be primarily English speaking. And we've talked about, you know, a few languages, but we've got to expand that even more as, you know, the U.S. continues to become a a large melting pot. And, And I think for us, the biggest takeaway here is that um, how we deliver insights to people uh, in this regard. And I think that just the overall tragedies of those two fires got a lot of attention. But I want to say to you that we have, you know, fire across the U.S. And one of the statistics you may not know, I mean, we know about those two fire fires, it was over 30 people. What you may not know is that from January 1st to January 25th, there were 260 fire deaths in this country. Yeah. So twos and threes, we don't hear about those, right? Yeah. Well, for me, that says America is still burning. We have perhaps fewer fires, but we've got more fire deaths. And those are the, that's the conversation we've yet to have. So, you know, it is devastating for the mm-hmm. fire service to have these civilians and certainly when a firefighter um is killed in the line of duty and not to mention the the heartbreak that we feel when we have a multiple um it is almost overwhelming and and I do just want to say that I did speak with uh Chief Niles Ford uh the night after the event and consequently then the uh, subsequently the next morning and and uh he's devastated and as you might expect Um, having known these three people who were leaders in in their own right in his department. So certainly our our heartbreak and uh, grieving process uh, will be in parallel along with that department.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I, I too, uh, shared some conversation briefly with uh, Chief Ford, uh, a friend of mine, and um, I wish him the best as I wish both the USFA and the NFFF uh, the best as they continue to work through the processes to uh, take care of um, Baltimore City Fire Department's folks. And uh, I know that's what Chief Ford uh, has first and, and foremost in his mind and both uh, the NFA and, and NFFF, and IFF for that matter, all uh, wanna make sure we take care of the people. So I appreciate you being uh, being there right there with them. Um, you know, as we as we think about the fires, um and we talk about community risk reduction uh you know i think covid has kind of affected you you kind of mentioned it how uh, our messaging uh, needs to change in context but i think we've missed uh and i'm looking for for your take on this really i mean i think we've missed um, a lot of community risk reduction efforts that we would have normally been out in the community doing or or being able to impact because of COVID uh, and because of the the sequestrations that happen of uh, uh, people not being able to be out and not being able to do this and not being able to do that. Uh, and that's also then, you know, puts a gap in our data, uh, which I know data, we're going to talk a little bit more about data in a minute, but how can we use those just basic lessons to make some quick changes in the community risk reduction efforts. Are, are there any thoughts that you can provide for folks on how they can get out now and and make positive change without having to do a lot of analysis of, of those two big fires? And by the way, you mentioned 260 deaths since uh, January 1 fire deaths is uh, uh, a significant uh, uptick. And uh, we definitely need to do something about it. And I'm interested in, in how you think both uh, CRR in general, but how data can help us in in that effort?
0: Well, I think um, certainly, you know, I'm a fan of community risk reduction and just risk assessment, right? It's it's difficult to reduce risk if you are not reducing the risks that are specific to your community. And what I mean by that is often we have this blanket messaging and we put out these messages that it seems to be one size fits all. And I think that that is part of the issue we can't just throw out messaging assuming that, you know, everybody's having cooking fires and everybody's having smoke alarm problems and everybody's having, you know, um, the other issues, um, you know, with appliances or lighters. or We have to assess the behaviors um, that we are witnessing in our own communities. And so I believe that Within our fire departments, you know, station captains and those crews, they know their neighborhoods. They know the behaviors that are in that neighborhood. They know the type of calls they make. And so I think we're going to have to have a much more grassroots effort to address risk. Um, I call it risk specificity, right? Specific risk in your station jurisdiction. Not just if we even think about it at the community level, think about how diverse the Infrastructure, the buildings, the built environment, the occupancy, um, ethnicities are how varied they are throughout your your whole of community. But they get a lot more specific when we start looking at the station first two areas. And so I think for just the insights for our risk assessment, is going to have to get a lot more specific. And we've had this conversation many times, I know you and I have before, about how do we match resources to risk for deployment, right? When an event occurs, we want to have a good match of the response resources um, that match the risk event to which they're responding. Well, I think we've got to back up and say we need to have our messaging and our uh, the safety messaging and our risk reduction messaging match the risk also. And so that's when I say putting it in context, that's what I mean. I think that we've got to look at that. I think we've got a real issue with affordable housing and safe affordable housing, right? And so affordable housing is one thing. Safe affordable housing is an entirely different discussion. And so I'm asked over and over uh, since these fires, what is the impact or why are we seeing the impact on who is dying Right. We know that African-Americans, for example, are dying two to one um, to other populations. And so I'm asked why. Well, I can't give you specifics on why I can tell you it is happening. That's a true statement because mm-hmm. that's what the data are showing. What our data shows, though, is the, the what, not the why. And that's a much deeper dig and a much uh, more you know, expanded conversation about equity. In uh, affordable housing or safe affordable housing. It's a conversation about codes and standards, enforcement, uh, adoption, and then enforcement. And it's about overcoming the assumptions that our fire departments are, you know, equipped and resourced to be able to do this kind of community engagement and they have the resources to do so. You know yourself that when it comes down to budget time, you're fighting often to protect your response resources. Not to mention, you know, not cutting your training resources, your prevention, your inspections. And so these are the kinds of things that I think we really have to have some conversations about overcoming the assumption the fire department's handling it. And that there's, you know, a widespread um, adherence to the codes and standards when we know there isn't. And so that's that is where I think we have to live uh, in this space of. Um, overcoming this kind of, you know, numbers and fire fatalities. And certainly, if we never have a fire, if we can prevent them, then I don't have to worry about line of duty death of firefighters, do I? Right. I don't have to worry about them being injured or cancer long term and and those sorts of things. So this conversation matters and it is multifactorial.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So we acknowledge it's been a rough patch um, in the fire service, both. In those residential fires and and in our line of duty deaths. Um, You know, I identified uh, just in, in, and I'm sure there's some others, but eight line of duty deaths in the first 16 days of the, or I'm sorry, first 19 days of the month. It, um, It has really been a rough patch. So I can't imagine what it's like having to step into the shoes that you stepped in during COVID, you know, year and a half, two years into the to uh the covid uh i'll call it debacle because it's uh, doesn't matter what side of the aisle you're on it's just everybody's doing the best they can right right Um, so you know the the debacle of it and um uh, and then throw on top of it just a couple months in the the two big fires uh, with the civilian fatalities and then the line of duties that uh, it seems like they're off the charts (laughs) recognizing it's been a rough patch, can you share a bit about what it's been like uh, in your first few months in the position as United States Fire Administrator?
0: Um, Wow, you know how to ask the tough questions. Um, (laughs) So, (laughs) yeah, I am uh, literally this week, uh, three months um, since I was sworn in. And um, as you noted, it was already a a chaotic time inside uh, FEMA, So for those who don't know, the U.S. Fire Administration sits inside FEMA. And so um, our mission is a a little bit different. FEMA is all about, you know, preparedness, resilience and, and recovery from disaster in the community. Our mission at the USFA is much more focused on the responders. It's the preparedness and resilience of the responders. And so from day one, when I came in, it was... Uh, a state of almost being overwhelmed because, as we've just discussed, there is so much uh, to do. Right. We have so much ahead of us and, and COVID has not helped uh, with any of these issues, um, not the least of which is being able to gather and have this information sharing and discussion. But trying to. Um, You know, I've always been told you when you are faced with this kind of overwhelming circumstances, you figure out how to eat the elephant one bite at a time. Right. And so that's kind of where I have uh, have been sitting is let's focus first on the mission. Mm. What is the mission of the U.S. Fire Administration? And our mission is pretty defined. I mean, it is. It is right there in being able to strengthen and support our fire and emergency medical services to prepare for, prevent, mitigate, and respond to all hazards. That's pretty specific, right? Yeah. And so I have, uh, from day one, said to all of USFA, um, this is where we're going to reside. If we are doing things that are not driven by the mission, then we're going to stop doing them. If we are doing things that are uh, driven by the mission, then we're going to do them better. And so yeah. uh, this all-hands approach to staying mission-focused is where I have tried to reside. So we're focusing, first of all, just to give you some of, of my priorities, um Obviously, we've got to focus on wildland uh, within FEMA and certainly within the Biden administration. There is a focus on climate change and the effects of climate change. And we all know wildland is associated with that uh, wildland fires. And for us, it is more the wooey right? It's the wildland urban interface or where the wildland meets the built environment is what we like to describe. Because uh, forestry and interior, um, you know, they're handling the wildland itself. But the WUI, the interface sits squarely in our lap. And so we have um, immediately realigned some resources um, so that my subject matter experts on uh, Wildland Urban Interface sit and answer directly with my office. So we are engaged at every level of interagency work within the federal government on that, and certainly in our our leadership um, throughout the the U.S. in that space. And that has to do for us, that is dealing with, you know, what are the firefighters going to be doing? Are we going to be doing? you know fuel reduction are we going to be looking at you know their ppe making sure that they have sufficient ppe which you know is a problem in that space um so that's that's one thing the other thing that i've said is that i want to make sure that we are at the national fire academy focused on training for today and what i mean by that is what are we training on that is in context of today's society and this all hazards that I think have changed. And I I think you'd probably agree, right, that over the last few years, what we refer to as all hazards, you know, the specifics of that have absolutely changed. We've watched society change that's driving, you know, some of the things we have to respond to is, you know, as responders in the field. What are we doing? You know, COVID, civil unrest. Um, just the overall, you know, we haven't had, thank God, as many active shooters, but as things open up, we've watched that start again, right? So uh, that's one of the other things that that we're going to focus on. And then um, certainly behavior health, you can't talk about resilience without talking about behavior health and just being supportive in that space of the efforts that other national organizations are doing. So we're certainly going to come alongside that. And then DEI, um, so diversity, equity and inclusion. And I think um, in that space, one of the big things that we've got to do is, first of all, define those three things um, and make sure that the fire service, fire and EMS service as a whole, that we're speaking off the same you know, sheet of music, so to speak, by definition. What does that mean? What is diversity today? And I think it's much broader than, um, you know, ethnicity and race. Uh, and gender. I think diversity really has an aspect of mindset and attitude. And so it goes beyond what we have thought about diversity in the past. Um, Generational, obviously, is is part of that. And then equity and understanding that equality and equity are two different things. And, uh, you know, equality says, you know, I'm giving everybody turnout gear. You're all getting the same size, though. That's equality. You all got the same thing. Equity says, I'm giving you turnout gear that fits you. Right. Mm -hmm. And for all the women in the audience, they would know what that means. Getting turnout gear that fits you. That's equity. And I think that conversation we want to perpetuate and then certainly uh, inclusion. And so really focusing. And I know you've done this, Mark, before is really focusing on a psychological Uh, psychologically safe workspace right we focus a lot on physical we want to make sure people are safe our responders are safe but i want to focus too on that cultural environment that says we can have psychologically safe workspaces uh where we can you know have conversations about the impact on underrepresented groups in our cadre right so those are just a few things obviously um um, there's more, but you can see, sure. uh, how we sort of have to categorize and be mission focused.
1: Sure. Absolutely. So, uh, you obviously are not, uh, new to the game of, um, I, I, I've always referred to politics as a game, new to the game of politics and you held various government positions serving, um, both in the, the Biden-Harris transition team, uh, conducting a review of FEMA and, and part of the, um. COVID-19 response planning. And then previously you served on public safety committee of the transition teams for the mayor of New York in 2013 and the mayor of the District of Columbia in 2015. As you look at those, did those uh, positions, uh, I mean, anecdotally, I know the answer to this, but did those positions help you prepare for the position you're in now, uh, or have you gotten into this position and gone, wow, that was way off base where I was before?
0: <laughs> that's a great question. So, um, yeah, just because you, you have to learn about politics, um, doesn't mean you like it, right? <laughs> and so right. That's right. sort of where I live is like, can we just get past this, uh, and get some work done, right? And so, um, yeah, those positions really did help prepare me for the realization of how decisions are made, um, how, you know, government can be efficient and work um, at the will of the people, and certainly for our specific group, um, you know, of first responders, right, fire, and EMS, and, and how we need to understand the role of the advocates Uh, how we need to understand the role of information and data and how that data is um, used for decision-making. So all of those things certainly came into play. Um, You know, just the role of listening first, uh, analyzing the data, um, evaluating the circumstance, and then making a decision and then moving as quickly as possible to facilitate you know, whatever direction, whether it's change or uh, continuing, you know, status quo in the decision, whatever that might be. So I would say to you, yes, um, just an overall understanding, which uh, those all of those three things that you mentioned that I've had the opportunity uh, to participate in were enlightening to me. Uh, Not, you know, I think I probably learned more than I contributed along the way. um, But That's good, too. Right. So taking those lessons uh, learned and and understanding just the the movement of information, I think, is incredibly enlightening and how that information gets used in an appropriate manner um, is also something that I think we are uh, now as a federal government official, uh, both morally and ethically bound uh, to get the facts and um, and understand the role of information in our decision making
1: absolutely yeah so you touched on this uh shifting gears just a little bit you touched on this uh, a little bit and we, we talk about the mission of the united states fire administration and um you know it's kind of a multifaceted question here so uh, should we expect a shift in the mission of u.s fire administration in the coming years you said that uh you one of your comments to staff uh, early on was um if what we're doing supports the mission we'll keep doing it if what we're doing doesn't support the mission then we're going to stop doing it but beyond that should we expect a shift and how will uh this is the other part of the question uh, you know how will data which i know is a huge focus on your mind and all of our minds um you you it just manifests better in you than it does in most of us uh, coming from you um how will data manifest in your administration, and um, uh, you know I'll throw out the acronyms infers and infors how will those things potentially change what what's going on with them and is that going to continue to be the mission, or should we expect a shift
0: so the mission uh, is the mission right, and I don't see a shift in the mission. What I see is more focus mm-hmm. on the mission and um having you know, sometimes, within an organization, you can have stray, right? You can stray from the mission because there's some new bubble that pops up and it's like, "Oh, that looks really cool. Let's try that. It might be innovative. It looks interesting. And you can really get into doing things and and I'm not saying that that's the case. I'm still evaluating right now, by the way sure. Um sure. so I'm still still in the evaluation uh, good three months in, remember. So uh, I'm not saying that at all. I'm you just saying just
1: a little bit going on
0: exactly and so i can say that in organizations you know because i've been in them for many many years that can occur and when you do that because it was popular today and it was really cool and then all of a sudden, you wake up and go, hold on a second, this is way off base of what we should be doing, right? And so that's what I'm looking for is that kind of evaluation as I go through programs and I go through things that are, um, you know, at USFA, we're, you know, I'm looking for that kind of focus. I do not see the mission changing. I see a reorientation of anything that we are doing outside that um, to be justified, right? So um I think the mission is the mission, and I think it is a very powerful mission, honestly. Uh USFA should be leading um, you know, the fire service and should be relevant to come alongside our partners and in and, in and, and consistency, right? Um one of the, the things that I look for is consistency and longevity, right? When we're talking, whether it's you know, data, whether it is messaging, you know, whatever it is, training. Um Consistency and longevity, and I think those are two driving um, paradigms, right? So uh, with that, and then in the data space, um, I will tell you that certainly, you know, our legacy system um, that is known as INFERS, uh, National Fire Incident Reporting System, is – you know, 20 years old plus. And so, and that is twofold. One of those is the data standard itself, which means what data elements are we trying to collect? And as you know, and, and, you know, the fire service as a whole knows, it is completely unwieldy right now. It is way too much. It's way too big. The data entry burden is ridiculous um, at the local level. And so we are going to look to streamline that data standard or the set of variables that are collected to a must have data set, right? A must have data standard that is is in line with what we are statutorily obligated to collect, which in the, um, the Fire Prevention and Control Act, there is a list of data variables that we are supposed to be collecting. Some we are, some we aren't today. So that is, uh, we're gonna come in line with that. And we're gonna come in line with again, today's um, all hazards environment, today's need for information for decision-making at the local level, decision-making at the state level, right, and decision-making at the national level. So I think that with those goals in mind, and we streamline the data set um, to the must-have information, then uh, we, you know, implement things like, you know, an investigation-type module, where our investigators are actually, you know, imputing data into something that's relevant to them. So I have, you know, investigators telling me all the time well, we don't even use in because, you know, there's we we collect a whole different data set. You know, the, the information I need to, to record is not even there. Right. So I mean, things like that. And that's just one anecdotal um, comment that. I think we've got to match the needs um, of our, our local department. So they have their own data uh, and then we have it for the states, right, as they need it to make decisions and, and, and implement programs in their own right. And then for us at the national level so that we can lead better and fulfill our mission. So that's one thing. The other thing is that the system itself, uh, from a technology perspective, so what you know as INFERS is a huge database. Um, It is a a place that it receives data that's pushed up either from departments or the state. And those transaction files with data in them are then uh, cleaned, analyzed, uh, and reported, but not in such a timely manner, right? And so, that's something I've certainly harped on for, you know, the last dozen years or so. We have to have timely data. I don't need two years ago, I need five minutes ago, right? And so, that is something that we are looking to do. So there's a whole movement afoot within FEMA and certainly Homeland Security as a whole that all systems move to cloud-based. And so we will not be able to move our legacy system to cloud-based, just so you know, it's that's how old it is. We have to stand up a new cloud-based infrastructure. So we will be moving toward that. Um, a cloud-based infrastructure with um, capability for data exchange via uh, application program interface or APIs, for those who know that language, um, and looking at Um, You know, the vision for the future is how can we better align our capabilities to use technology for data capture rather than having this massive burden of data input on the firefighters? And so, uh, leveraging technology is going to become one of the drivers as well. So, that's sort of the vision, um, and we'll be moving toward that. It is not something that's happening tomorrow, so I don't want anybody panicking. Um, this is going to be a long term uh, proposition. Um, it is going to be a proposition where we're going to protect the legacy data. We're not losing anything. Uh, the legacy data is going to be protected and um, actually, you know be stored in a place that it it will become much more usable even than today. So lots of good things afoot, more details to come. Um, and uh, that's going to be an exciting, exciting ride.
1: Yeah. How do we get 100 percent of the fire departments to contribute to the data?
0: You know, that's a great question. Um, so 100 percent of the firefighters or, or excuse me, fire departments. That's the goal. That's the goal. I think um, just by reducing the barrier for input, um, not every, you know, fire department. And I'll talk about the volunteer cadre for a minute. The, not every fire department has they don't have computers, but oh. most of them, I bet, have a phone. Right. They've got um, some sort of, you know, uh, smartphone or device that they could use. So I think that we're going to have to make that level of entry um, and automatic capture uh, with some apps and things like that available. I think we're going to have to have APIs to CADs um, so that we can do a direct, you know, data upload uh, off computer aided dispatch systems uh, where we can. So if we can again leverage technology others are doing it right the whole of industry is doing this kind of data capture sensors are going to become you know relevant where can we do data capture so i think the more and more opportunity for data input and giving them more and more um you know i'll call it a conduit more and more avenues to get data pushed into the system, the more we are going to get not only more, but more quality data, because that's a problem right now. When you have a a burden for data entry like we have today, then firefighters are gonna take the path of least resistance in doing data entry. They are gonna check things that don't make another window open, right? And that doesn't mean it was correct that they checked, it just means they got through that report. They got it. You've done it yourself, right?
1: Mm. No, I'm not going to admit
0: that. Uh, <laughs> I know. Every time I say this in a group, I start to see the smirks, the smiles, and the head nods because all right. we're all guilty. And that has to do with this data entry burden and not understanding the value of the data. Right. And so we have to come into I'm going to call it the 21st or even beyond century with technology and allow our departments to have multiple ways to get their data in. And it doesn't mean that everybody will be able to contribute everything we ask for. And so we shouldn't require that. Give me what you can give me. If it is your your dispatch or if you can link into some uh, geocoded capability off your phone and be able to push, you know, your response time information from where you started and where you ended, um, you know, then that's great. That's information that can be used. And so we want to have, you know, this kind of capability for uh, let's get what we can get because any data at all is going to be helpful um, for decision making and, and analysis and really being able to tell our stories right at the local level and certainly at the state level.
1: Yeah. Switch gears again to, still talk about future of USFA and mission and all that. Uh, I see that the USFA recently launched a, a podcast. Uh, can you tell us a bit about that and who are you hoping to reach with that show?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So we did just launch a podcast. Um, We're excited about that. Again, we're trying to uh, expand our communication capability um, within the USFA. So just another venue. Um, So our podcasts are live, and we're hoping to reach not only the fire service, um, certainly, but the public as well, decision makers. We want them listening. So we want to have relevant information um, on that podcast. And so if it, it the sessions that will be directed at the fire service, you know, will promote them that way. There will be sessions directed that will say, you know, share this with your communities so that they can re-promote, right, um, at the local level. And so maybe some of them will be directed toward decision makers. Right. So I want it to be very diverse. I want us to be able to to meet needs and have conversations and direct them um, so that it's it may not be the same audience all the time. So this is going to give us an opportunity to talk about research and what is happening, you know, with fire dynamics. Maybe we have a session on, you know, smoke movement. Now, that would be relevant to the Bronx fire. Right. Understanding how smoke moves through open spaces in a building. And so where we can have a conversation about, you know, why are people dying in a building when the fire was contained on one floor? Why were people on the 15th floor, you know, dying? So understanding that kind of smoke movement and how your body is affected by smoke, what's in smoke. You know, these are things that I think is just an opportunity that if you can have these conversations and bring understanding, then that's another venue that we can deliver some of that messaging. So that's just one example. It may be some, you know, for decision makers and understanding how resources need to match risk, you sure. know, in your community, yeah. what kind, why crew size matters, yeah. you know, so I see it as being a um, sort of a, an approach that we can be agile and fit um, several different
1: areas. Yeah, great. And we will put a uh, link to your podcast in our show notes here, along with links to uh, USFA's uh, website and, and anything else you'd like us to link in there. We'll put that up there for our listeners so they can uh, they can take a listen. Um, right. As we go to to close out here, I want to kind of talk about uh, all hazards uh, a, a bit, and um, uh, and then I'll do a recap for for our listeners. But you know, we we know uh, you mentioned the all hazards response as we talked before the show and. Uh, We know about COVID-19. We know about the fire fatalities. We know there's uh, a lot going on with fire and EMS uh, in uh, challenging times in the United States fire service and emergency medical service uh, area. Can you talk about uh, how you see fire and EMS uh, in the future? with respect to the United States, you know, how you see fire and EMS in the future and how we can better manage through this COVID-19 pandemic as we continue to navigate through it.
0: Well, um, that is a really big question. Um, Yeah. Yes. So, you know, uh, first of all, I just want to acknowledge that everybody's exhausted, right? We we know that um, the responders are exhausted and it's, you know, not only are we exhausted from COVID itself, and I think we've adapted to the environment that we live in. And what I mean by that is the station environment, all of the hygiene protocols, the masks, uh, face masks, the, uh, you know, uh, cleaning protocols on all the apparatus. I think we've adapted to that. And, and you know, that was difficult at first. Um, the exposures, limiting exposures, when we had absolutely no playbook for this. And so I, I think that we have really come a long way and, and actually implemented some protocols in several departments that I don't think they'll go back. Right. And whether that was having to do with, um, you know, overtime protocol or station hygiene protocol, things like that, that I think will remain uh, for the long term. So there were some you know, good things that came out of this. The other thing I think is that we have learned a lot about our overall system capability and capacity, and that is varied by by jurisdiction and large, small. Um, they're all different. And what I mean by that is that we've got departments that are struggling. And we already know that um, even though we talk about these you know, huge traumatic events and their horrible fires and the outcome, it still remains that 65, 75 percent of the call volume in this country is EMS. Right, and so, given that fact um, we have to understand the overall impact on some of our systems, and this um has been exhausting in and of itself and and things like you know e m s drop off times at the hospital. I've had some really interesting conversations in the last couple of days with chiefs that are you know they're running out of ambulances, running out of transport capability because they're all lined up at the hospital waiting to drop a patient right and so. This is having great impact on our capability to respond because now what's the trickle down? You've got now increased response time to get an ambulance, which means you've got engines and trucks that are deploying on first response, waiting on the scene longer. Uh, to get an ambulance to come right to transport because they're all still at the hospital trying to drop patients and so helping decision makers understand that and the and i don't mean just political decision makers i mean like hospital ceos we know the hospitals are struggling we absolutely know that we know they're struggling for personnel in the the er's to even take patients in so what i think we have to do And this has already had some innovative ideas, but we have to continue to think outside the box and continue to think about cooperating with folks. We've never, never needed to engage before. And now we do. Whether that's a CEO of a hospital that needs to help you figure out a way to drop these patients faster, whether it's a new kind of protocol, whether it's deploying you know, paramedics at the ER so you can hand off from your ambulances and get back in service. You know, there's, you know, any cadre of ideas, right? A host of ideas that could happen. But it's having those conversations and understanding each other's side of the story and trying to come to a resolution that doesn't have impact on both capabilities to handle, you know, increasing call volume. And, you know, (laughs) I think public health is another thing. We have learned to work with public health In the vaccine arena, right? Delivering vaccines. Every fire department in this country has had some sort of role uh, in that uh, space. And so learning to work with folks that we have not uh, had a need to work with before. And I think those relationships will matter going forward. So as we continue to work through the things that are impacting our systems, I would say, you know, leadership, be open-minded here. Um, It may not be the way we've always done it. Uh, it might be some new um, you know, protocols that we need to put in place, some new conversations that we need to have. And so let's be open minded. But again, sticking to our mission. Yep. right? Yep. We cannot do things that compromise our mission. And I'm not just talking about USFA mission. I'm talking about the mission of the fire and EMS services. Yep. And so always mission driven is where we're going to live
1: outstanding. Doc, I know we're running short on time. Uh, Any other initiatives you'd like to share with us for USFA?
0: Um, You know, uh, stay tuned. That's what I'll say. Okay. uh, Stay tuned. We're going to be as communicative as possible. And you are helping us with that. So I'm grateful for this time. And so just stay tuned, stay in touch. I want to hear from everybody. Um, Let me know if you have ideas. We are excited to listen.
1: I, I appreciate your time. We well, you have been talking with Dr. Uh, Lori Moore Merrill, the United States Fire Administrator. administrator. We talked today about uh, the 260 fire deaths already since January 1st, uh, and, and the not only her, but the administration's grassroots efforts to identify uh, risk specificity within communities, uh, about matching resources to risk, about overcoming the assumption that the fire department is just handling it, uh, we went on to talk about her first 90 days and uh, boy has that been a whirlwind you think this wrap up's a whirlwind that has been a whirlwind and um, the two things that i'll talk about there she talked about being mission driven and mission focused and training for today at the national fire academy big deals there uh, and then we talked a little bit about diversity equity and inclusion and the difference between equity and equality and that's an important thing to listen to there folks uh, and, again, talking about uh, streamlining, when we, we got into more about mission, about streamlining the data uh, to make it applicable to various groups in our constituencies, finding more avenues for data entry so that we can improve the number of departments that are on board. Uh, we are providing links to uh, the all the things we talked about there onto our show notes Um, And then finally, we talked about how exhausted the United States fire administrator recognizes that our responders are. Uh, We talked about how we've learned a lot about our system capabilities and capacities through this COVID environment and everything else going on. uh, And the need to think outside of the traditional fire EMS box to improve service, which includes, and this is uh, that ring a bell here, guys, includes working with non-traditional partners. Dr. Moore, I appreciate your time with us today, and I thank our listeners for hanging in there with us. This is Mark Basher, Executive Editor for FireRescue1 and FireChief.com. Have a great day on purpose. Keep safe, stay smart, and take care.